3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to Elders past and present of the Kulin Nation and we recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. It's the 28th of February, last day of summer. And you're here in the studio today with me and... And, and me, Shahrazad. <laughs> <laughs> and you, which is me, um, is... <laughs> well, I have me. me. Is, uh, is M. So good morning, M. Morning, Shay. <laughs> so um, first up, we have Gabrielle Fakri. Yeah, so we're going to be chatting with Gabby from the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights about a really amazing guide that they launched just yesterday, in fact, um, about... Uh, family violence affecting Muslim women, and so we'll be chatting about, I guess, some of the yeah, some of the insights um, from that really great resource that they've put together. And then a bit later in the show at 7:45, we're going to be chatting with Izzy Brown, um, who will be talking about the Sale for Justice campaign. Um, they're doing a bit of fundraising now to sail um, to Manus um, from um, Nam. And then last up on the show, we're going to be chatting with Simon Ruth, who is CEO of Thorn Harbour Health, about the proposed ban on alkyl nitrate, which is one of the key ingredients in poppers or amyl, um, and the sort of disproportionate impacts that a ban like that would have on the LGBTIQ community. We appreciate, like, you mob and all the people coming and visit us and doing stuff like this, you know. It's very good. It keeps a positive mindset in our mind, you know, and we really appreciate it. Because of where we can, yeah, I want to be a better, better man, yeah, because of where we can. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates across Victoria. You can listen to audio from this year and previous years online anytime. How do you rehabilitate someone? They just put you in a cell and tell you this is how long you're going to do and it's meant to rehabilitate you, you know. Rehabilitation starts when you get out. That's when your life begins again, doesn't it? In here, your life's on hold. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Or if you'd like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 8377. When I first come to this day, I was about 10 years ago and I was a young one. A whole heap of young ones come off the truck there the other day and they call me Aunty Marlene. So it helped me recognise and realise it, like, pull themselves up like, yeah. They're starting to look up to me, so I've got to represent and do the right thing now. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. International Women's Day with 3CR. On Friday the 8th of March, we'll bring you 24 hours of non-stop radio by, for and about women. Join 3CR's fabulous women and genderqueer broadcasters as we talk with talented Melbourne musicians, songwriters, storytellers and activists making a difference. 
featuring a special live broadcast from the 2019 International Women's Day Rally at the State Library between 5.30 and 6.30pm. For the full day's program, visit our website at 3cr.org.au. International Women's Day 24-hour broadcast, Friday the 8th of March 2019. Tune in at 8.55am, 3CR Digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55 a.m. Just before we heard Purple Sway by Purpolarity, by Sophie Grafie, um, from her 2016 mixtape. We're going to be chatting with her at 8 a.m. today, so we'll be playing a couple of her tracks this morning. Um, but first of all, I just wanted to let listeners know that it's going to reach a top of 36 today and sunny. And so we do just have to, um, read out a bit of a heat health alert, because it's going to be hot for the next four days. Victoria's Chief Health Officer has issued a heat health health alert, that's such a tongue twister, for the Central District. Older Victorians, children under the age of five and those with existing medical conditions are most at risk of heat illnesses. Drink plenty of water, stay indoors with air conditioning or a fan on and check in on neighbours living alone and the elderly. Never leave kids, older people or pets in cars. Remember, extreme heat can increase fire risk. Check the fire danger rating for your area on the Vic Emergency app or website. If you feel unwell, see your doctor or call Nurse on Call on 1300 In an emergency, call triple zero. So I read this out to you because it's going to be very hot for the next four days. So we do encourage you to take a lot of care, stay hydrated and look after everyone around you. My name is Ruby Susan Mouth. My pronouns are they. You're listening them. to 3CR Radical Radio, and that was Binde with Stella, Rosie, and Claudia on. Hello, I'm Liz Wright. Welcome to Are You Looking at Me and International Day for People with Disability. Today on the show, we meet Trish Maloney and Frank Corventi. Did you miss our 12 hour special broadcast for International Day of People with a Disability? Radical Disabled programmers discuss the NDIS, Aboriginal rights, creativity, youth access, financial security, parenting, LGBTIQ, intersections and so much more. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash disability day 2018 and listen back anytime. Anarchy is on over the long weekend, March 9th to 11th, at Camp Eureka in Yarra Junction. The aim is to bring anarchists, families, friends and those interested together. Come share ideas, skills, food, music and laughter. There is a bunch of radical workshops and skill shares over the weekend. Check out our website, campanarchy.org or contact us on info at campanarchy.org or via the Anarchist Events Facebook page. Camp Anarchy is a 3CR supporter. 
You're tuned in to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. It's 17 past 7 and just before we listen to Lit Vibes by Young Baddie. Young Baddie's also playing in the Brunswick Music Festival, which is coming up, and we're hopefully going to be chatting with her in the next few weeks as well, um, which is really excited. There's lots of really rad artists involved in the Brunswick Music Festival this year. Are you 18 years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treat it with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun, which way the wind blows. Street CR Community Radio, 855 AM. So we've got Gabrielle uh, Fakhi, who has worked in the area of newly arrived migrant and refugee families for 40 years in Australia. And she's joining us today to talk about a new uh, handbook that's been released on uh, yesterday, a guide for Muslim women and communities on family violence and early marriage. Good morning, Gabrielle. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Uh, no, thank you for coming on. Uh, could you firstly tell us a bit about your organisation and the work you do? Oh, we'd love to. So the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights has been around since 1991, and we are um, like a mainstream um, service provision, except that we are, uh, employ Muslim women to work exclusively with Muslim women as well. So we have... Um, 
social workers, family violence workers. We do a lot of um, casework, referrals, consultancy, advocacy. We have a cultural, cross-cultural training program, uh, policy development, research, um, oh, lots of lots of things that we do. But um, a really wonderful agency. I'm, I've been there for seven years, and I'm totally impressed with the work that comes out of that organisation. Hi, Gabrielle. This is M here. Um, so maybe if we could just talk a bit about this amazing guide that the centre uh, launched just yesterday, I believe. Yes, Would you be able to give us a bit of an overview of what um, what the guide is about? Well, it's actually our second guide. We had one many years ago that's totally out of print because it was used by so many people. This guide is actually for Muslim women who are either experiencing or have concerns about family violence. But it's not just for the women. It's also for community leaders who need to have an understanding on the impact of family violence on uh, both women and children in Australia. But I see it a step further because I've been using this guide, the old one, for many years. It's also for uh, service providers or anybody who wants to have an understanding of what the Muslim religion actually says about violence because there's a lot of myths out there um, that Islam condones violence against women, etc. And unfortunately, even some of the Muslim women believe this. So a lot of women are uneducated, haven't studied their own religion and only know what fathers or husbands tell them. So this is a guide for, for a lot of people, not just for the Muslim women. What are the, some, some of the key messages in this guide on family violence? Well, um, one of the things that we talk about, obviously, is that um, both in, our, in the religion of Islam and in the Australian society, family violence is not allowed. It is absolutely not um, part of anyone's life in Australia. And one of the other things that people wondered why we put in the guide was all the different forms of family violence that um, come under the law in Australia, including some that are religiously specific. And that's because for many Muslim women, for them, family violence, oh, physical violence, he hit me, he beat me, whatever. Um, but they don't see all those other forms of violence that we uh, agree are part of violence uh, with, with, within the Australian context or within any, any context, actually. Yeah, and so I, you know, I work in the family violence space myself, and um, I mean, sometimes I, you know, facilitate workshops with, with young people and others around um, challenging and preventing gendered violence. And we often do activities where, you know, we, uh, I guess, explore naming different types of violence and really unpacking some of those, you know, narrow ideas around what violence Absolutely. looks like. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I, when I was reading over the guide, I was really, I thought it was really amazing the way it does go through and list in quite a lot of detail. Or different forms of violence that can be specific to Muslim women's experiences. Exactly, things to do with visa, personal belongings, legal papers, uh, particularly religious violence, spiritual violence, um, preventing her from getting out of the house. I mean, and all of these stuff we see every day in our work. I mean, I know it sounds terrible to say, but we, these, this, the the guide is not just we made it up. It's, it comes out of 20 years' experience of working with Muslim women from our, not just our staff but other scholars and, and therapists and community workers in the sector. Absolutely. And, yeah, naming, those, naming types of violence, why is that so important? Because, as I, as I said, the women don't know. For them, violence is just, oh, uh, physical. They have no idea. Let me give you an example. Um, I do. We, we had a program running last year called Respectful Relationships, which is about family violence and early enforced marriage. And 
and I was running them with many different groups and one of the groups, the group leader said, we have a lot of family violence but nobody's disclosed in this group. So after my fourth session, still nobody, people were listening and talking but nothing. Then I added a session a really hard-hitting session on how family violence is affecting your children. And these women all had young children. And going through all the different uh, ways children display the effects of being witnesses to family violence. That afternoon, I got a phone call from the group leader saying three women had come asking for help. Not because they were worried about the family violence against themselves, but they didn't realise that their children were showing the effects. And that's, and that's so important for people to understand. Mm. And also, as you were saying before, so important to be challenging those victim-blaming myths and attitudes that are so right, common. There are so throughout. many. There are so many. And for many women, and I don't know whether you understand this, uh, a lot of the women we work with are refugee women, Afghanis, Iraqis, Syrians, uh, Bur- Sudanese, Burmese. It's so hard coming to Australia and settling. For them, family violence is way down the list of things that they may or may not tackle in their lives. You've got a new country, you've got uh, a little bit of Islamophobia where people aren't really happy to have Muslims and it'll be, it'll be in the news later, obviously, there's an election coming up. You face racism often on a daily basis. You're looking for housing, you're looking for schools for your children, you're trying to settle in this country. Family violence is not an issue. Even if it's there, you, you don't have time to address that issue or whether you know it's an issue. Absolutely. Um, I suppose so. It's uh, Shahrazad here again. Could you uh, talk a bit more about how racism and Islamophobia, um, just more broader things, that, I suppose, affect all Muslim women, how that plays into the family violence and how your book addresses these sort of issues? Well, let me talk about racism and Islamophobia first because I've done a lot of work research for the organisation on this. People often say, you know, Australians are not racist, but we actually know they are. I've worked in Bendigo for a few years at the anti-mosque movement and even I've been threatened and had to have police protection in Bendigo. And I'm, I'm not a covered woman. So for those women who are obviously Muslim by way of dress, they face this on a daily basis. Um, particularly in country towns, we are a statewide and, and an Australian-wide organisation. When I work in Shepherd and Mildura, every time I'm running a group up there, which is quite often, we hear the story. Oh, the, the white ute tried to run me down. Oh, this woman pulled off my scarf at Target. Oh, they wouldn't serve me in the shop. They served everybody and they wouldn't let me be served. I had an incident in Shepparton where I'd given out gift cards as part of a focus group and when the women had gone to Kmart to cash them, the women were were accused of actually stealing those cards and I actually had to go to to Kmart and talk to the manager and the girl on the the counter had not even bothered to put them through the machine to see that that they'd been activated. So this happens on a daily basis. And what's so sad is that the women know it and, and, and it's part of their life. They, when I went to Shepparton once and did a focus group about racism with Afghani and Iraqi Muslim uh, refugee women, and I'm talking about ra- they said, what's racism? So I had to give examples. They said, oh, that's just every day in Shepparton. So for, for them, it's just part of life. It's, it's, it's really sad. Yeah, and, and how would having these sort of encounters, um, these racist and Islamophobic encounters like every day of your life, how would that affect then in private? Like, Well, it does. Affect, it, it, yeah. it, it, it makes women stay in the home. It, it stops their involvement in the community. Whenever there's an incident, either here or overseas, you will find every park, every, every main road, particularly Sydney Road, Broadmeadows, you won't find Muslim women in the street. They're actually scared to go out because they know they are going to be the brunt of anyone's anger over any attack, whether they were involved, whether it's 
their own country, and they're not involved. Obviously, they're here in Australia, but they face the brunt of it. They're the they're the public face of terrorism, and to, to be honest, that's what they say. When there's ever a terrorist incident anywhere in the world, it's us that that uh, are targeted because we're an easy target. And what's worrying for many women in Werribee recently, I did a group of Somali women who said, we can do it, we can walk, we can ignore it. But we've got teenage sons, and if they are walking with us, they're not going to ignore it. They want to turn around and fight. They said it's the fear of our lives that our children are going to start becoming violent uh, to defend us as, as Muslim women and Muslim mothers. So there's a lot of fear out there. And Gabby, I was wondering if we could also talk a bit more about, you know, the need to balance um, challenging challenging any ideas that family violence is a uh, quote-unquote Muslim problem. You know, in the oh, same way, absolutely. so many different communities <laughs> who are most targeted and impacted by state violence, by police violence, by family violence, you know, the media likes to represent these things as being a community problem, which, you know, from our conversation, you know, is so not the case. So I was wondering, oh, how, can, how can we, you know, challenge some of those ideas while well, also holding on to the need for specific resources? Yes. Well, I mean, each community has specific issues around family violence, and I think the Muslim community does have some specific... I mean, we would not be employing two specific family violence workers if they didn't. However, you only have to open any newspaper in Australia or go on social media to know that here in Australia, one in six women over the age of 15 has experienced physical or sexual violence by a partner. And, of course, the emotional abuse of that's are much higher... It's, it's everywhere. And the only reason that our organisation specifically deals is that for Muslim women, it's for many women who are uneducated, they don't really, you know, it, it becomes a huge issue. Can I give you an example of one of my cases? Um, during the Family Violence Roundtable, and a woman in Dandenong came to the group and, and after much encouragement from her bilingual worker, told me her story that her, she'd been terribly beaten by her husband, but she had no intention of ringing the police. She put up with it. She didn't care. However, one of her neighbours had had enough. An Australian neighbour decided that enough's enough. I'm sick of this woman screaming and being bruised and beaten. She rang the police. The police, of course, came and saw the, the violence inflicted on this woman by the state of her body and actually removed the husband and did an intervention order and told the husband he wasn't allowed to come back to the house and, and all of these things that the police do. After three days, this woman does not speak English. She doesn't drive. She could not take her children to school. She had no access to money because the husband controlled the money, so there was no food in the house. She rang her husband and said, come back and beat me, but feed us and take the children to school. This is quite typical because women don't know what resources are out there. They don't know where to go. And for many women, even dialing triple O is a huge dilemma, getting the police involved in your life. It's such a shame. So even when I go to groups and say to the women, please, in an emergency, ring triple O. Oh, ring the police and then they'll come to our house and everybody will see. It, it, we have a long way to go to make sure that women are safe in Australia. Mm. And, and does, and does um, your resource sort of point to alternative measures other than the police to like... Oh, absolutely. At the back of this resource, we have a whole list of, of places, including our own, in touch, uh, 1300 respect, all of these wonderful resource places that are available for all women. Um, in Australia experience or, or worried about some kind of family violence happening in their lives. Definitely. You cannot do a resource like that and then leave the women hanging, as many people have done. Remove the husband, but don't tell the woman where to go for help. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Mm. 
And because I guess what that also makes so clear is, you know, that there are just so many increased barriers to accessing support um, for Muslim women because of, you know, all the different forms of um, discrimination and state violence and barriers that folks experience. Well, just look at homelessness. Just look at the housing issue for, for women. We have women... Our, our workers have told us they've got women sleeping in cars with their children. We had a woman who went to Kmart, picked up a tent and went into a park and slept with her children in a park and then got abused in the park. We have some terrible, shocking stories about trying to find um, accommodation for women who have made that brave step of collecting their children, leaving the home to escape the violence, and then we're struggling to find out where to put them. We're struggling to get them financial aid. It, so sometimes the alternatives sound wonderful, but in reality, all of the workers in the industry, as you would know, are struggling to cope with the demand. Mm-hmm. And Gabby, we might wrap up now, but how can listeners find out more about this important guide, which I also believe is available in several community languages? Yes, it's is that right? available in Arabic, Dari, Farsi, Somali, and of course in English. Well, obviously they can contact our agency. We have a website. Um, it's, we are called the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights, and we're happy to post them out. And I'll give you our telephone number, 94813000. I'll say that again, 94813000. We are quite happy for people to, to use these guides um, with their clients, but also to get an understanding of how um, Islam sees family violence as well. Thank you so much for joining us today, oh, Gabrielle. Thank you so much for thank having you. me. Thank you, Gabby. Great. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. You too. Bye. So that was uh, Gabrielle uh, Fakhi, who is from the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights. And she just talked a bit about the new handbook for Muslim women or guide for Muslim women and communities on family violence and early marriage. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Would you like to get involved in the decision-making process at 3CR? Nominations are now open in 3CR's Community Radio Federation elections. You can stand as a subscriber representative and have valuable input into the programming and future direction of this diverse and dynamic radio station. Nominations are due by Friday the 1st of March at 5pm. For more information, contact 3CR Station Manager on 9419 or download the nomination form at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. It's 7.35. Just before, we were chatting with Gabrielle Fakhri on the um, Guide for Muslim Women Experiencing Family Violence that was launched yesterday. Has your organisation been interviewed on 3CR? Your band played live to air. Have you heard your latest song? Groups like yours can now become 3CR organisational subscribers. Just $150 gets your organisational group behind Melbourne's longest-running activist radio station. 
Get online at 3cr.org.au or call 94198377 and become an organisational subscriber. Show your love, 3CR. What am I going to do? I You're tuned in to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am on the 28th of February. And just before we listen to Gag Order by Tando, a new um, track that was released just yesterday in advance of her launching her new album at the Brunswick Music Festival in a few weeks. Up next, uh, we might just have a very quick chat about some things that are happening in Algeria and Sudan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we talked a bit about this uh, yesterday when we were preparing for the show and yeah, I just saw on WhatsApp and Instagram, which is, you know, I, I'd love to talk a bit about like the role of social media in, in like protests, especially in countries like Algeria or Sudan. But yeah, I saw on social media, oh, oh there's a whole bunch of students at the minute protesting all over Algeria, all over the country because the president wants to put, put, but Lifka wants to go for a fifth term, um, which would have made him, you know, I can't remember the exact details, but it would have made him, I think, a leader for maybe more than 15 years. 20, I think. 20 years, yeah. yeah. And in Sudan at the, at the minute, and this, this is really interesting because I was speaking to a friend uh, yesterday who was saying, oh, I've just been getting all this information through WhatsApp about, like, you know, what everyone's saying in, in Sudan because there's been protests since December last year that well, it was initiated by uh, the rise in prices and inflation but it's obviously much more than that. Um, it's now in a state of emergency and the uh, I suppose the the authorities or the military and, and the, well, the state apparatus is cracking down on any any sort of forms of protest or any sort of meet, meeting up. So people have still been meeting up to sort of protest this state of emergency as well. And so why hasn't this been reported in the mainstream media? You know, because I keep an eye on the news mm. quite a bit um, and I didn't know much about what was going on in Algeria or Sudan at the moment until um, you talked about it with me. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it is reported in the media, but not all, all media. So it's reported on Al Jazeera, mm. but especially in Australia, I just, I just think we just don't hear much from what comes out of Africa you know, unless it has some sort of interest to the Australian state. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll hear what happens in, for example, uh, when Australia is involved in any wars or any invasions, uh, but we won't hear what happens, you know, throughout the rest of the world if Australia is not involved, which makes it a very Australian-centric sort of viewpoint, which is, but yeah. And even then, I guess we hear it in a very, you know, whitewashed way of putting mm-hmm. Australia's interests at the centre, mm-hmm. and that is what, media platforms like WhatsApp or Twitter allow for a much greater diversification, I guess, of viewpoints and of, you know, of the students in Algeria sort of creating content, sharing what's going on with the world. And similarly, you know, in Sudan, people using VPNs to be able to circumvent um, the government crackdown on social media. Because am I right that there's been huge censorship in Sudan over the past few months? But um, I think that's just recently been lifted, the um, censorship on social media. So I think people can use WhatsApp again and some internet websites. Um, but I suppose just coming back to what's so interesting about Algeria right now is that so in 2011 at 
when when there was the Arab uprisings across the sort of North Africa and Middle Eastern region, which also included Sudan, you know, this is included in in this. The uh, Algeria was one of the countries that didn't have a high level of of protest, and that's because you know there was a civil war in for ten for about ten years more over a decade between um, between 1991 and 2000 and and in the early 2000s, and then also it. So there was that, and there was quite quite a bloody civil war. So people didn't want to like go back to that. That was still quite in everyone's memory. And also there was the Algerian War of the 1960s. But also the state has been very smart in its use of um, saying we don't want to go back to the civil war decade. We don't want to go back to. Uh, we don't want to be like Syria. We don't want to be like this. So that has stopped I suppose some of the some protesting but people are people and they're fed up and they're protesting now which I think is very interesting to see. Next up we have Izzy Brown joining us from Sail for Justice who are fundraising to sail for human rights, indigenous sovereignty and climate justice. The destination is Manus Island and they will set sail from Birarang or known as Melbourne um, in the colonizer tongue uh, to Manus stopping along the east coast with a message across land and sea for freedom and justice across the Pacific. Good morning Izzy. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, I suppose firstly could you just tell us a bit about Sail for Justice? Uh, yes, so Sail for Justice uh, we've been plotting and scheming for a while. Uh, it came out of the original um, Freedom Flotilla we did in 2013 to West Papua. Um, since then, a lot of the crew decided we wanted to do something else um, and address a whole lot of issues that needed addressing. And Australia's offshore detention policies, um, you know, climate change and Indigenous sovereignty are issues really close to our heart. And we've tried a lot of things. There's been a lot of rallies. There's been a lot of petitions. There's been a lot of lobbying of governments. Um, so this time we thought we'd try some direct action on the high seas to really highlight these issues. Maybe give us a bit of the itinerary. So you start off in Berolanga, um and, and then where are you heading off to? So there's actually some crew coming from Tasmania as well. So they'll be meeting us here. Um, so 1st of May, uh, we're planning to do a big launch down in, in Docklands near the Border Force office and sail out from there um, up the east coast. Uh, on the way, we want to highlight a whole lot of um, uh, you know, different stuff. Hopefully, we can do some action on climate change, uh, Adani, and other things on the way up. And also, you know, remind people about our closest neighbours um, in West Papua and the genocide that's happening on our doorstep. So, we plan to do a lot of events um, and big launches in each capital city along the way. And then leaving Australia from Cairns, Gumby, um and heading over to PNG. Um, traveling through PNG and up up to Manus Island, so it's a big journey. Should probably take about um, three months, and uh, hopefully we'll collect uh, a few more people along the way, and yeah, and try and um, yeah make it make a big impact. You mentioned just before you're doing this for Indigenous so- sovereignty. Uh, the refugee issues and ecocide. Could you speak a bit more about the link between Indigenous sovereignty on these lands and on Manus, Australia, and Australia as a carceral state and refugees? 
Yeah, well, these there all these issues are, you know, it's definitely linked. Um, Australia was founded on, you know, on the blood of Aboriginal people. And until we recognise, you know, the, the, you know, the issues in this country that we're a colonial state and the impact that's having on the environment and, you know, on our, our refugee policies, you know, we started off with the White Australia policy, um, yeah, a, a long time ago, and there's still the remnants, if not in full force, of that kind of racist system that began a long, long time ago. So I feel like we can't really address the issues of how Australia treats its refugees until we look at you know, the founding principles on what this you know, colonising nation started with um, by the, you know, the first invasion. So, you know, they we're going to take on the government and we're going to take on a system that is repressing um, refugees. We need to look at how you know, it started and how it's still repressing Indigenous people to this day and how Indigenous people, not only here but in Papua Guinea and West Papua and all over the Pacific, are still um, victims of these colonial powers and now these multinational corporations that are stealing the wealth from the land and the, and the people. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, all, all these things are very close to our heart and very interconnected, and we really need to confront, you know, the, the root of the problem if we're going to, you know, change this system properly. Mm. And and you speak a bit about that on on your website when you when you talk about Medivac. It's good that the, that the bill exists, um, but it does have its shortcomings. It doesn't actually address the root cause of the illness, which is the camps. Could you speak a bit more to that? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's, it's good to see that there was, you know, a voice in Parliament showing like a, you know, a, a momentary um, whisper of reason that yes, you know, we, if someone's sick, if someone's suffering, you help them. You don't just leave them to languish, especially for political gain. Um, but that's only the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, the, the reason the government's doing this and feels comfortable in doing this is because it's built on a on a foundation of racism, and you know, and and until we kind of look deeper into that, um, these things are going to keep happening. So, um, you know, it's, it's it's fundamental that we address indigenous sovereignty um, in this in this movement because um, the jurisdiction of the government and what they're doing to the people, um, you know, it needs to be you know, overridden. So. No, it's, it's a big, <laughs> it's a big story, <laughs> and um, and we really need to look at those elements and hopefully highlight those elements for people that perhaps didn't realise the full, um, you know, the full kind of implications and history and power that that the Australian government and system are wielding um, on refugees, indigenous people, and on the, on the land itself. Mm-hmm. And you'll be travelling with the kangaroo skin and ashes from the Aboriginal Tent Embassy or from the fire at the Aboriginal Tent Embassy in Canberra, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Could you speak a bit more about that? Um, so Uncle Kevin, who founded the first Freedom Flotilla with the to West Papua, um, and he's been very influential, I guess, on, on my personal education um, in issues of you know, human rights and the, and the land and, and the power of, um, I guess, uniting people 
with you know, not only kind of protest of action, but also kind of spirit and culture and, and that kind of stuff. So um, part of what we did then was take the ashes and the water from his country in Arabana country to, to West Papua. Um, this time, you know, he, he really wanted to make a statement about you know, the different, different tribes, different people coming together of all nations to sit around the fire. And that fire can be like a really equalising um, space where you know people are on equal terms sitting around the fire, and we can, you know, not, I guess, you know, talk on equal terms. So part of his vision was with the kangaroo skin, have that depicted um, in in the art on the skin, and have as an offering um, on the way. Also, um, with ashes from the embassy, we collected those um, the day after Invasion Day at the embassy, um, and they've come with the blessings of the crew there. It's been part of you know, a very long struggle. I think it's been 40, nearly 45 years now that the embassy has been going, and, uh, and the ashes from that fire um, yeah, hold, hold a lot of that strength and, and struggle. So we're honoured to be able to take that with us on the journey. Tell us a bit more about your um, next fundraising events and how, because I, I think you're fundraising for Sale for Justice at the minute. We sure are. <laughs> it's a long way to go and it's a very big mission and we're hoping to achieve a lot of things. So we do need your support out there, everybody. Um, this weekend on Saturday from 2pm, we're having a DJ pizza night um, on Pitt Street in Brunswick. So come down. You can... Pin the willy on Dutton's head. I think there's a few other party games <laughs> um, happening. And yeah, yummy um, wood fired pizzas happening in the backyard and lots of music and stuff. So so that should be good. We're going to be running a whole heap of fundraisers over the next two months. So uh, the weekend after, we've got a geek with my band Combat Wombat, Race Rage, and um, the Devil's. Um, Family String Band in the Underground Car Park in Collingwood um, and a whole of other art exhibitions and movie nights coming up. So, yeah, stay tuned because, yeah, we need your support. We'll put on lots of kind of crazy and diverse events um, that hopefully will appeal to everyone somewhere along the line. And we've also got a crowdfunding uh, thing up on Chuffed. So if you go to Chuffed and Dale for Justice, You'll see the crowdfunding uh, thing there and also on our website, saleforjustice.org. I'm making me a Great. Um, and I suppose um, maybe I should uh, leave you there. So if people want to sort of get involved in, um, do you have a social media page? Yeah, so look up Sale for Justice on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a small boy waking up next to That's me. That's totally fine. <laughs> <It's> totally fine. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah, so check out Self for Justice on Facebook too. You Great. Great. Thank you so much, Izzy. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. 
Um, so that was Izzy Brown from Sail for Justice, who are fundraising to Sail for Human Rights, Indigenous Sovereignty and Climate Justice. They'll be setting sail in about two months from Birara or Melbourne um, to Manus and stopping along the East Coast. And they're fundraising at the minute, so you can find out more by going onto their website, just Google Sail for Justice, or um, on their Facebook page. Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual, Knowing No Boundaries of Sex or Gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. And that was Sophie Grophy's most recent track, Bag. Check out the video clip online as well, which she released last year. Guatemala, I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. Whether it's hip-hop, blues, reggae, jazz, opera, roots, curry or world music you're into, 3CR's music menu is serving it up to you. You're with Music Sans Frontier, music from around Australia and around the world. Good afternoon everybody and welcome to another edition of Great Voices. You're listening to Hit Sister Hop on 3CR 855am. Music matters on 3CR, 12 noon every Friday. Keep these diverse tunes on the air by subscribing to 3CR. 
call 94198377 Hi, I'm Jacob from a Friday Rave and I'm also on 3CR's Committee of Management. Now, the community of passionate people that founded 3CR a long time ago made some tough decisions. For a start, they committed themselves and a growing community of listeners to back their vision of owning our station and, in doing so, remaining independent of the government and corporate influence. They did this by fundraising, brick by brick, with working bees, door knocks, on-air drives and all the rest of it. You've all been there. Now, their commitment has kept 3CR on air for over 40 years. That's a long time even in my life. But now... We need your commitment to keep this great thing going. Now, you can subscribe online at 3cr.org.au or phone us at the station on 94198377 or even stop me on the bloody street if you see me at some rally or other and ask me for a membership form. You need to become a member of Melbourne Radical Radio and subscribe. The Therapeutic Goods Administration is still in the process of considering a rescheduling of alkyl nitrates, the active ingredient in Amor or Poppers, to a Schedule 9 drug. To talk about the impacts on the LGBTIQ community of this proposed ban, we have Simon Ruth, CEO of Thorn Harbour Health, formerly the Victorian AIDS Council. Good morning, Simon. Good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. Excellent. To begin, I was wondering, could you give us a bit of an overview of this proposed ban on alkyl nitrate? Um, so it, it's been an interesting process. So back in around September, um, somebody, I think an ophthalmologist, wrote a letter to the TGA uh, citing a piece of European research that nitrites cause um, some eye issues, macular degeneration. Uh, that piece of research is questionable, and it's specifically around one particular type of nitrite called isopropyl nitrite, which we actually don't have in Australia. Um, the TGA went, then went through a process where they... Uh, called for submissions um, and there's you know we have raised now questions around how the TGA does that because they don't advertise that you have to go to their website to find that they're investigating something um, so most of our community basically missed the call for submissions and they, they got some submissions by the toxicologist society and uh, the chemists and a few others who all said well we have no use for this drug do whatever you want with it feel free to ban it not realizing that it's widely used particularly by gay men and men who have sex with men, uh, to make sex, um, you know, easier and, and uh, less painful, and also by heterosexual people, um, anybody engaging in that type of sex to make it less painful. Um, and then so then the TJ made a move to ban it, to make it Schedule 9, which would effectively put it in the same class as heroin and other drugs where it would not be available in the country. Um, and then people in the community discovered it, and there's been a huge outcry, uh, the uh, the person who makes a decision at the TGA then said, well, we have to go to a broader process of c- consultation. And now there has been an outcry by gay and bisexual men, by the AIDS councils, uh, by the LGBTI Health Alliance and by, and by young clubbers and, and groups like Home Reduction Victoria and others saying um, this is an innocuous drug. Uh, all the harms associated with this drug that have been highlighted in the banning are easily overcome through other measures and we don't believe it should be banned. The TGA have now accepted that Schedule 9 is not the correct way to go um, and they did have a public consultation in Melbourne a few weeks ago. Um, the problem is the TGA has a scheduling system that has I think seven or eight schedules and this 
basically this substance doesn't fit. It's it's fairly harmless. You could sell it over the counter, uh, but it does require quality controls, and there's no way to have those quality controls for human consumption and make it easily available. Um, and so the TJ is now going through a process of trying to figure out how they'll manage the drug. Um, they're probably they're the ones that they were putting forward at the public meeting where you can go to a GP and get it prescribed and, and you know our argument would be well that's one particularly humiliating too you have to justify to a GP and out yourself as to why you want it um, three a lot of GPs might refuse to provide it and four basically GPs don't need the extra work they're already inundated in most places um, with work the other options are then you can go to a pharmacist and buy it over the counter as you would something like pseudoephedrine or codrol where you have to speak to the pharmacist or you could buy it on the shelf of the pharmacy or all of the different options have problems with them. Um, our position would be that it should remain unscheduled, uh, but we do believe that uh, quality, it should be better quality, the bottles should be safer, there should be education attached to it, um, and it could be managed through a state-based regulatory system. The problem with the TGA is that they work outside of their state-based regulatory systems, and so they're trying to make a square peg fit into a round hole at the moment. Yeah, and if I can just jump in there, so so the TGA is the Therapeutic Goods Administration, and how in in when they were initially proposing to make um, it into a Schedule Nine drugs, so put it in the same category as heroin, what were you mentioned some of their arguments before, but I was wondering how did their arguments in a sense sort of use quite homophobic um, positions or assumptions around LGBTIQ people and, you know, activities that LGBTIQ people might engage in? Um, yeah, look, it's, the, the teacher is really sensitive about being accused of being homophobic, uh, which was fascinating because I, I had a chat to John Skerritt, who's the secretary, and he, he took it really personally. And I said, well, John, you need to realise this is on the back of you refusing to let gay men donate blood which happened four years ago, which we had all the evidence to say it was safe. You, you've taken years to approve rapid testing. You've taken years to approve home testing. There were the issues with getting PrEP onto the PBS, which isn't the TGA, but most people don't understand the difference. And now this, and it just seems that there, you have put hurdle after hurdle after hurdle in the way of you know, dealing with the HIV epidemic and, and particularly dealing with the rights of gay and bisexual men, um, particularly around blood donation and other areas. Um, the, the risks, the evidence that was put forward to the TGA when they made the decision, one was this eye issue, which is arguably not even related to nitrites in Australia, and it's a specific European issue because of the way they manage the chemicals over there. Um, but the others are there has been a spate of people. We Back in the 80s and 90s, animal was quite common. Then we had a big uh, you know, clamp down on it where it basically moved back to being a, a gay community drug where the rest of the community didn't have it available to them and they stopped using it. And now it's started to become more available. And, and there has been a, a few young women particularly whose boyfriends are putting pressure on them to have anal sex because that's what you see in porn and you think that that's normal everyday activities, uh, where the young women have learned that this system in making sex less painful and, and, and it says on the bottle, do not inhale, and so they drink it. Um, it's a particularly toxic chemical if you drink it. Uh, so there's been a number of hospitalisations of young people, particularly women, drinking uh, amyl, which we would say, well, that's an educational issue. That's, that's not a reason to ban it. There's also been a few cases of children finding the bottles and opening it and consuming it, uh, and that's about a safety mechanism. You know, we, we can create safer bottles and safer ways of, of packaging the product that, that don't. It could be safe around children. Totally. So that, all, all these problems can be overcome through other measures that don't require us banning it. 
Exactly. And as you say, you know, like it's, it's not to say that there aren't, you know, potential risks involved, but they can be mitigated in pretty straightforward ways. Yeah. And to use them as arguments to, you know, legitimise a ban full stop does very much feed into this idea of, you know, whether it's like the stereotypes around gay people being a threat to young children or, you know, yeah. all these stereotypes that we just see put forward time and time again. And I want to ask you a bit more about that important point you raised just previously around seeing this in the context of a long line of, um, you know, regulatory uh, efforts um, that disproportionately impact, you know, queer people, queer sex, queer forms of intimacy, whether by the TGA or other authorities. And as, I guess, speaking as, you know, Thorn Harbour Health, which was previously VAC, and you have a long yep. history working with community, I was just wondering if you could talk a bit more about the importance of seeing this in, in a broader context and a longer history. Oh, look, look it, it's definitely part of a longer history, and, and you know we we are always on the margins, and um, you know it's arguable that the reason we have a HIV epidemic is because people are uncomfortable talking about anal sex, particularly. Um, and working with the TGA, it was, it was amazing watching them. The bureaucrats struggle just to get the words anal sex out, um, and, and talk about how the queer communities use these drugs, um, which was a you know a fascinating process to go through and just see their discomfort with with talking about our lives. Um, and if and if this becomes criminalised, there's a study called the Flux Study, which is a study about how uh, men use substances, queer men use substances, and the vast majority of people who say they use animals said if it was banned, they would buy black market products. Which and we all, we know with every drug that gets banned, when black market products start coming out, when you get the synthetic cannabinoids and synthetic cocaines, the drugs become increasingly more dangerous. As they, as more and more drugs get banned and we, and they have to start getting more novel substances out there. And then that's why we have issues around pill testing at the moment because you can't get NDMA, which is a fairly safe drug to use. And, and suddenly we, we're getting all these other drugs like PMA and different things, which are quite dangerous drugs to use if you don't know how to use them properly. Um, but what, you know, we, we have said to the TJ, we're happy to have better quality and we're happy to have better packaging. But if you criminalise this, you are criminalising our communities. It's, it's essentially going to be our communities that will still seek to use these substances and, and you will disproportionately be criminalising queer people and gay and bisexual men. And even if you go through any of the other regulatory, regulatory processes of scheduling it as two, three or four, um, that will you know, create a break in supply because that's going to them mean we will have to find a provider somewhere in the world who's prepared to pay the hundreds of thousands of dollars to make a product available in Australia. Um, the product is currently scheduled because alkyl nitrites were previously a medication, um, but to get a product available on a shelf will require a company to put in uh, a submission to the TGA and get it approved, and there's usually a couple of hundred thousand dollars that go along with that. So we have to find someone who believes that there's a, a market in Australia, and, and that's a, possibly a three to five year process to get that done. And in the meantime, you, you'll see queer people and gay and bisexual men actually accessing the drug elsewhere, trying to import it themselves, you know, getting picked up as they come through customs with bottles, and, and it will disproportionately impact on us. As you mentioned before, you know, criminalisation and drug bans often cause much more harm, which, you know, we can also see in the stigma that injecting drug use communities experience, the risk of overdose and infection due to the illicit market of drugs, um, and also the current spate of deaths at music festivals. How does the proposed ban on, on poppers uh, affect drug education and the use of poppers as a harm reduction tool? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, any... This is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, Thorn Harbour Health has uh, formal public positions and we believe all drugs should be decriminalised. 
Uh, we believe pill testing should be available at festivals. We don't believe that sniffer dogs should be used. We know that sniffer dogs have led to deaths in Australia. They're, a, they're an ineffective way of detecting drugs and, and managing uh, you know, a justice-based drug system. Um, but we know that there's been at least two or three young people who've died um, directly related to sniffer dogs and fear of being detected and consuming everything and dying. Um, so for us, you know, this, this is a, a, it's a drug that particularly affects us. And really, we, we are 90% of the market for this drug. So it's a, it's a drug that impacts on our communities greatly. But it's also, you know, another step in a long line of, of drug prohibition measures um, we just had a, a man in Australia called David Nutt, who's a British academic, um, who used to head up the British government's drug and alcohol advisory group. And he did this amazing piece of research where he got a group of experts in a room and he got them all to talk about the different harms related to drugs, so harms to the individuals and harms to community. And then he mapped them all out and he found that. And, and then he argued that laws should be based around uh that way of looking at drugs. So the drugs that are most harmful should be the ones that have the most restrictive laws and have the most government intervention. And the ones that he came up with being the most harmful were tobacco, alcohol, and I think heroin was up there. But right down the other end on the drugs that were almost harmless, he had nitrites, amyl, he had MDMA, ecstasy, he had uh, GHB, which is one that you can manage easily with education, um, and a whole bunch of other drugs down the more harmless ends. And he said these are the ones that should be made available and they should be regulated and, and be out there for everyone. Um, he then got sacked from his job in the British government, uh, but he has made a career out of going around the world and, and talking about drug policy. And, and so I think, you know, we need drug legislation that actually responds to harms and makes sense and, and isn't just about criminalising parts of the community, particularly young people and queer communities, because we are the people who experiment with drugs uh, as opposed to mainstream community. And to wrap up, how can people find out more and get involved or express their concern? Uh, well, anyone can write to the TGA. The process is wrapping up at the moment. Uh, if they go to the Thorn Harbour Health website, we, we actually have a page on AML and what's going on there. There was a group that formed called the Nitrites Action Group, um, uh, which was Paul Kidd and Dr Vincent Cornelise and Daniel Readers, and, and they did an amazing amount of work behind the scenes on this and exploring each of the regulatory paths. And we, we have their report on our website if anybody wants to read that. Uh, but I'd just encourage people to tweet the, T the TGA are on Twitter and they're on Facebook. Um, you know, follow them on Facebook, send them tweets, tell them what you think. And, and they have all the evidence they need. They just now need to understand the community sentiment. Um, I think they still underestimate the impact this is going to have on our communities because they don't know us. There, there is nobody amongst those bureaucrats who's part of our community and, and, and they really need to get the sense, which they did in Melbourne. Um, that, you know, there was a, quite a visceral response in Melbourne to some of the things they were proposing, but, but they need to continue to get that. And also the Pharmacist Society of Australia, uh, they're developing a position as well. So, you know, if you're interested and you want to... And, and they're looking at a very progressive position in line with ours, so I'd encourage people to contact them as well and tell them what you think. Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Simon. Excellent. Cheers. Thank you. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. We were just chatting with Simon Ruth, CEO of Thorn Harbour Health, about the proposed ban on alkyl nitrates, the active ingredient in amyl or poppers, and the disproportionate impacts on LGBTI communities. There is power in numbers, and there is power in independent, community-run media. Join the swelling number of people fighting back by becoming a member of your radical activist radio station. Show us your love and subscribe to 3CR.
call us on 94198377 Older Victorians, children under the age of five and those with existing medical conditions are most at risk of heat illnesses. So as we've got quite a a few days above 35 degrees, the health alert would be to drink plenty of water, stay indoors with air conditioning or fan on and check in on neighbours living alone and the elderly. Never leave kids, older people or pets in cars. Remember, extreme heat can increase fire risk. Check the fire danger rating for your area on the Vic Emergency app or website. If you feel unwell, see your doctor or call a nurse on call on 1300 60 60 24 in an emergency call triple zero. So I just want to let you know that unfortunately we weren't able to get on to Sophie Grophy this morning, um, but we'll hopefully have her on the show sometime in the next few weeks. And she's also playing at the Brunswick Music Festival next Saturday, 9th of March, so you can check her out there as well. Um, but to wrap up the show, we thought we might just play one more of her tracks. This is Baby Let's Fly from her uh, mixtape popularity from 2016. CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377.